What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And we don't just mean the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go papertarian than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out, the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Go behind the wheel, under the hood, and beyond with Car Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hi, and welcome to Car Stuff. I'm Scott. I'm Ben. As always, we are joined by our super producer, Noel the Silver Arrow Brown. And I don't know, that's not my best work. That's a multi-syllable name. We'll we'll come up with something. We'll come up with something better. Most importantly, ladies and gentlemen, you are here. And we have uh, something that many of you will enjoy. We hope. Yeah, we hope. (laughs) Uh, Well, at least one person will. And it was a listener suggestion from... Steve Pocock on Facebook, mm-hmm. and he wrote a while back, and I think it was prompted by a visit to a museum that we'll mention later, the the Buffalo Transportation Pierce Arrow Museum, which uh, also, by the way, and I don't know if we'll mention this or not, but um, includes a Frank Lloyd Wright fuel, fuel filling station built inside. It was never built outdoors as it should have been. Mm-hmm. Uh, they took the plans and built it indoors, and uh, just a really interesting museum, but we'll find out that that's not the official Pierce Arrow Museum as well, which I find really interesting. So um, hopefully we'll get to that part of this whole Mm -hmm. thing because I was looking at my notes, Ben, from today, and uh, I went a little overboard. You know, sometimes I say (laughs) I've got too many notes and can't get to everything. Uh, This is going to be another one of those cases. I I didn't think it was going to be this big. You got roughly um, half the table, maybe, if you you spread it all out equally. It's like a ream of paper that I have over here because I started going year by year Uh through this company. And I got to, when was it? I think around 19, I finally got to about 1920 and I just kind of gave up. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to go with, uh, you know, my margin notes at that point, but I had more detailed notes up to that point. So, um, again, a listener, listener mail suggestion or, or a Facebook suggestion, rather. And uh, I, I, maybe we shouldn't start there just yet. Ben, you know where I'd like to start today? Where would we, you like to start? I'd like to start with your hat. Oh, yeah. This is weird. You're wearing a mystery hat. I'm wearing a mystery hat. Yeah. So I have a, I have sort of a, a strange situation in my personal life, which is I just end up finding things and losing things. And much the way that you gave up going year by year in 1920, uh, I gave up a long time ago trying to keep specific track of the things that enter and leave my life, which I know sounds wildly disorganized. And folks, yes, you're right. It's chaotic. So I get up this morning and I'm going through my closet looking for stuff to wear. I realize that not only are the majority of my clothes things that I don't usually wear, but a lot of them I don't recognize. Never seen them before. They're like things I wouldn't buy. They're things I wouldn't wear. They're someone else's clothes. Some of them don't seem like they would fit me. And one of the things I found was a Steelers hat, a Pittsburgh Steelers hat, and I wore it to work today. And we were off the air, Scott. You know, it was one of the first things I said to you. You you said... uh you, you know, say hello, talk a little bit about podcast. And I asked you if this was your hat and maybe I had borrowed it from you or something. <laughs> like it was laying on my desk and you just took it home. 
which I hope I would never be that kind of person, but I haven't even, I've never been to Pittsburgh. I've never even been to Pennsylvania. Where is this hat from? It's a complete mystery. So, you know, I, you say that it's a, it's a chaotic way to live your life, you know, not really knowing where all of your stuff is at any point or, sure. you know, or just gathering other things. But is it chaotic or is it more like, uh, maybe I'll not use the right word here, but is it more zen in that, uh, <laughs> you know, you don't own things. So they just simply pass through you. You know, it's like uh, it's like you're using it for now. You'll trade it on later and then get something new later, you know, in, at a future date. I'm, you know, thank you. That's a very, it's a very kind way I'm, to look at it. I don't, that's probably not the right I there's, do, a, there's a different philosophy that I feel I'm missing missing here, but I do keep it together for uh, you know I do keep it together for the basics. Like if I'm in charge of an animal, then I will take care of it. Yeah. You know, I don't let plants die. I, I don't. I, feel I don't like, just hop into random cars. I feel like people are like this with with tools sometimes. Mm. Uh, you don't really know where that tool came from, and if it's not somebody who's very very you know. Uh, Cautious about lending or, or yeah. uh, you know, as you sign the checkout sheet to, to bring it back, <laughs> uh, you know, you may end up with a, a few of your dad's power tools or, sure. you know, a hammer here or there. Oh, oh, that's another thing. Oh, man. Yep. Ben owns four identical hammers. In a one-bedroom apartment. So this, oh, this, you know Well, what? one this of them's a, a mallet, remember? I didn't think about that until just now, but this is a trend with you. I got a, I got a hammer for every room. <laughs> <laughs> you live in an apartment, you got four hammers. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, so whatever works for you, man. I guess uh, it seems like I'll either sometimes it seems like I'll either have too many of a tool or none. Mm-hmm. One time I had um, an oil filter wrench um, that was was just an absolute pos right and a uh, piece of stuff. And so I went back to back to my parents' house. Uh, and to my dad's garage, he's got all these tools. It's like the Alibaba Cave of Wonders level of tools. Not anymore. He has, he's missing all his hammers now. <laughs> I don't know, man. Uh, maybe, maybe I'll I'll check in because he listens to this show sometimes, so he might be really steamed right now. But um, but I went back to uh, say, hey, this is oil filter wrench. I don't I don't need it. Do you want it? Otherwise, I'm gonna just give it away or something. And then I said, and also in full transparency, it's seen better days. And he was like, the last thing I need is an oil filter wrench. And then he had like this little, like, not quite a pile, but too many for a home mechanic to I can, have. I can defend him in this instance yeah. because uh, I, I probably have four or five of those myself. And the reason is that when you're out buying supplies for an oil change, right? that's one of those stupid items that you think like, do I have the right one? Like I forgot. Do I, you yeah. know, if it's not one of the adjustable ones with a strap on it, you might right. think like, do I have the right one for this? And mm-hmm. I'll, I'll buy another one just in case because it's three bucks. Yeah. And I'm here and that will be a second trip to the hardware store, the, uh, the parts store, uh, you know, in half an hour when I got my hands all covered with oil mm-hmm. in a different vehicle. You know, it just becomes very complicated. So you think, well, I'll just spend the three bucks right now. But then you go home and you realize you got four others already. Better safe than sorry. Yeah, I guess so. It, just, it happens. So, uh, this, <laughs> This has uh, absolutely nothing to do with today's show um, or barely anything to do with the subject of today's show. Uh, this instead is a PSA, a public service announcement. If you or a friend somewhere in the listening audience, whether in Bangladesh or Birmingham, Alabama, everywhere in between, if you are missing a Pittsburgh Steelers hat, a ball cap, I believe that I maybe of some assistance. I don't know how it got here. I don't know where it's going. But if it's yours and you want it back, I'll gladly send it to you. Well done. Well done. I'm, Very I'm nice. I'm trying, man. Very nice. So, Steve, what's going on with Steve? <laughs> well, Steve Steve wanted to hear about the Pierce Arrow Motor Car Company. And yeah. uh, it is it is an interesting history. It's not very long, though. That's the thing. It's uh, it's only, only been around, well, you know what? There's there's about 30 good years in here, and we'll, mm-hmm. we'll describe those 30 years. But the companies that that founded or that uh, uh, resulted in the Pierce Aero Motor Car Company mm-hmm. uh, were length. Uh, there's a there's a longer history to them. Yes, I don't know how to say that better in a better way. I'll tell you all the names of the companies that were predecessors to mm-hmm. the Pierce Pierce Aero Motor Car Company. So it started out as Heinz, Pierce, and 
Munchauer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, way back in 1865. Then it became the George N. Pierce Company. Mm-hmm. And then it became the Pierce Motor Company. Mm-hmm. And then finally in 1908, it became the Pierce Aero Motor Car Company. And that wasn't exactly it because Studebaker gets in there later on in the 1930s. Mm-hmm. But all this begins in about 1865. Yeah, in 1865, the predecessor of what will become known as the Pierce Aero Motor Car Company is established, and it is, as Scott said, called Heinz, Pierce, and Munchauer. There's a fascinating thing here uh, for anyone who's checked out our earlier origin story episodes or historical episodes. Uh, you often see this trend wherein what would become a car company starts out manufacturing something else. Mm. And this is uh, this is one of those instances because they were not known for transit really at all. No. For the, for the first, like, 36 years, they only made household items. Yeah, it reminds me a bit – well, there, you know what? There's so many examples of this. Yeah. It reminds me a bit of Peugeot, of course, with mm-hmm. the, uh, the the pepper mills. Mm-hmm. Uh, it reminds me also a bit of, like, uh, the, the Kelvinator company that made um, – or, or International who made um, uh, refrigerators. Yeah. Uh, you know, all, all these different uh, companies. with bicycles. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And remember, a lot of that comes from – we found out finally. We finally got a, a grip on what that meant and, and why they made household items and appliances and small mm-hmm. small appliances. And that's because of the refrigeration company. It's usually mm-hmm. a refrigeration company that's then um, bought by an, an auto manufacturer and they continue to use that name on that product. And it's it's a fascinating tie-in between small home appliances and automobiles. Right. And right. it makes sense. It makes sense from a infrastructure standpoint because the production capability that's already present for manufacturing appliances it uh, gives you an a, a leg up. Yeah, yeah. So, so the Heinz Pearson Munchauer Company mm-hmm. built things like ice boxes and mm-hmm. bird cage, gilded bird cages, high class bird cages. Yeah, you and know. I, and I think I saw their name on a uh, on the side of a wagon, maybe. Um, you know, they built all kinds of stuff. I mean, that's just a few things, and it's tough to kind of nail down a list of of exactly what they built. There's not a lot of information out there about this company. There is a there's an old. Uh, Heinz Pearson Munchauer calendar, or excuse me, a catalog that you can find in, uh, from January 1876. Hmm. But, uh, it's, you know, it's not exactly a bestseller well, nowadays. You know what? I'm glad you said th- that date because, uh, if you go back four years prior to that, mm-hmm. that's when, uh, the, the Pierce part of this whole company, uh, bought out the other two. So it was yeah. actually the George Norman Pierce Company. Mm-hmm. Um, at that point in 1876. So in 1872, uh, that's when he decided to buy out, uh, Heinz and Munchauer. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he changed, of course, he changed the name to the George M. Pierce Company. Right. And, uh, around 1896, which is a, well, a significant time later, they added bicycles to the lineup. And this is kind of a, a big move for them. I mean, because yeah. they hadn't really gotten into transportation yet at, the, at this point. And this is, this is, um, uh, kind of the foray into that, uh, into that is, is bicycles. And there's a, a strange tie-in with a lot of bicycle manufacturers and, and auto manufacturers as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Peugeot had a tie-in as well, just like we mentioned with the, uh, you know, the pepper mill stuff mm-hmm. just a moment and, ago. Yeah. And then another company that's going to play a, uh, a decisive cameo in our story also was associated with bicycles. Yeah, that's right. And uh, I'll just mention the name now, but it's the Overman Wheel Company. And the Overman Wheel Company was the first manufacturer in the United States of safety bicycles. And those are the bicycles that have, finally, similar size wheels on the front and the back. Remember, before that, they had right. the old penny farthing designs, the one with the giant wheel in the front and yes, tiny wheel in the back. Which I find just dramatically obnoxious. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's okay. It's They're coming back. Yeah. And... There, it, it's these hipsters, right? Mm-hmm. In the U.S., they're located largely in New York, San Francisco, maybe Portland, Pacific Northwest. And I get it, man. I get that nostalgia exists. I understand that. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. 
someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. (laughs) People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy. And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh, great, you see me too. We'll laugh together. We'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. However, the penny farthing design is functionally inferior, not even to modern bikes. Mm -hmm. Just like bikes, like the safety... Well, you know what? Maybe terribly I, dangerous. Maybe I should lay back and just let people be happy. Probably should. Just what let if them, I did uh, that? Let them pretend to be what they want to be. What if I stop being a cranky old man about <laughs> about people? If you want to ride a penny farthing bike, do it. It's the Honda Odyssey of bikes, though. You're better off on a safety bicycle, which, uh, which, by the way, I mean, come on, this is around 1900 when these things were were designed. So if you you haven't caught on to the safety bicycle yet, you know, there's something. <laughs> well, you just don't want to. Right? Yeah, I guess so. So you know what? Let me skip around just a tiny bit in the in the uh, timeline here, and we'll come back. I okay. promise. But I just feel like we should get the bicycle and motorcycle stuff out of the way because yeah. they they built bicycles, and I just mentioned it now. But motorcycles, they also built motorcycles starting in 1901. Mm-hmm. So 1896, they added bicycles. And the bicycles were built by uh, the Pierce Cycle Company until 1914, so that's a pretty good long run, 18 mm-hmm. years. Mm-hmm. And around 1901, they started building motorcycles, a lot like the ones that we, well, actually the ones that we saw in the board track racing episode. Right. Uh, that was that was them. They built one and four cylinder models, and the four cylinder was apparently pretty wild, pretty fast. Yeah. And uh, and also they claimed vibrationless, I think, is what they said for that motor. But Yeah, come on. you can see some of those old advertisements. But yeah. they were they were quite successful with the bikes um, and the motorcycles. Yeah. They, they were building these at a location off Hanover and Prime Street in, on Buffalo's waterfront. Uh, it was a huge building, 75,000 square feet. Uh, and they they even had a bicycle display at the Pan American Exposition. Yep, and uh, so that that ended for the Pierce Cycle Company in 1914, but they sold the tooling for that bicycle manufacturing to a company called the Emblem Manufacturing Company out of Angola, New York, and they built Pierce bicycles for another 20 years after that. So uh, long legacy for the Pierce bicycles. Yeah, absolutely, and and a pretty good legacy too, because they they left the game without you know a threat of bankruptcy or some huge manufacturing problem. They were just successful enough with it that they later chose to sell it or spin it off and go to something else. Not bad. Now let's let's jump back to 1900 because some things happened around 1900 that are interesting as well. Oh, there was almost this amazing. Game-changing innovation at Pierce Aero Company. Yeah, almost. They, almost. Uh, they attempted to build a, a steam-powered car, yeah. but but the attempt failed. It was it, it was licensed by a, a company called Overman, which we just mentioned. Right, about the, the, the bicycle bicycles. guys. Yeah, the Overman Wheel Company. Mm. And uh, here's here's how that came about. Um, and this is prior to when it was organized as an actual automobile company. So it's still the Overman Wheel Company, the bicycle manufacturer. Mm-hmm. They sold all that off in 1900, or maybe it was right at that transition. I don't know. I, I can't quite figure out the exact timing on this. Yeah, it's a little fuzzy. But they reorganized in 1901 and formed the Overman Automobile Company, which then, uh, well, at the time, they sold something called the Victor Steam Carriage, and they had really low sales. And then finally, Overman 
gave it in and then merged with a company called Locomobile in 1904. So it didn't last very long, but this, uh, this foray into steam powered cars for the Pierce company or the George N. Pierce company mm-hmm. didn't work out so well. It was a, it was a failed attempt, but they came back and in 1901, the company built their first single cylinder, two speed, no reverse vehicle that was powered by a De Dion engine. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a single cylinder, like I said, uh, again, first, uh, yeah, the very first, uh, first successful attempt at building right. a car, I guess. The Motorette. Yeah, the Motorette. I forgot to mention the name of it, right. It had a two and three quarter horsepower engine, and they only made about 170 of these cars. Yeah. So, um, you can call it a success. I mean, it, it sold, which is mm-hmm. good. Um, I would guess that at that time, selling 170 vehicles is pretty good. And there's a, so there's, there's a reason for this drive. Um, and, and to get to it, I'd like to explore a little bit more of George Norman Pierce's background. Oh, yeah, sure. Cool? All right. So George Norman Pierce is born in, uh, Friendsville, Pennsylvania. Maybe that's where this hat came from. Sounds uh, nice. January 9th, 1846. Doesn't yes. that sound pleasant? Friendsville? Friendsville? Friendsville. It does. It sounds like a town where a comic book hero grows up. <laughs> uh, so he at the time, was a highly educated man. He had private instruction. He attended a place called Waverly Academy and went to Brian Stratton's business college in Buffalo. So when he got to Buffalo, 1863 or so, for 10 years after that, he worked for various manufacturing companies. And when he was the sole proprietor of uh, the newly formed George M. Pierce Company, he was also uh, obsessed with visions of the future. He knew that, you know, household goods were going to evolve, but still kind of evolve at the same pace. Like a refrigerator is always going to be a refrigerator, right? No matter how immensely improved the technology may be, it will still have the same purpose. Sure. However, transit and transport, while they have the same purpose, can use radically different technologies to get there. And that's when he began thinking big about the car. So he was the the singular driving force there, and he had his son uh, Percy P. Pierce also on board with this. Um, I mean, prophetic is one word. I think that's a little bit dramatic, but his his son was active in this in a more social aspect. Yeah, Percy Pierce. His name's going to come up later on. He's uh, he he worked for the company. He he drove for the company as well. Mm-hmm. So it, we'll we'll talk about Percy. Uh, did you have more to say about well, George? Uh, just, uh, also, his history because I don't have a whole lot about George's history. Really, George's history is uh, George's history is a little bit difficult to to hunt down. Uh, I. He's a visionary, right? So he's, yeah. he reminds me, um, the way you're describing him, he sounds a, a little bit like Tucker. You know, Preston, yeah. Preston Tucker. Yeah, in, in many or, ways they're similar. But, but you know what? I, now that I say Tucker, I, I can't single out him without saying he also sounds a little bit like Henry Ford. Sounds a little bit mm-hmm. like, uh, you know, some of the other people that, um, well, John DeLorean. I mean, all these people mm-hmm. that, you know, were, were just, they had visions. They had, a, they're, they're visionaries. They want something, uh, to evolve a little bit faster and they're going to do it. Right. Yeah. And, uh, I believe that, Percy was his oldest child. He ended up having five, uh, all girls except for Percival Perrinet Pierce. <laughs> what a name. Yeah, it's a, it's a mouthful. <laughs> it's a little Susian. We'll just call him Percy. But, uh, but yeah, so what we find, especially at this stage in history, is that things begin to blur and get a little murky. So we know, we know the big highlights of uh, George Pierce's career, uh, but for his personal motivations, other than the, the visionary approach to the car, those things may be lost to maybe family, oral tradition, or maybe diary entries or stuff, but um, things that are difficult to find. And uh, it took us a while to verify that Percy was actually this guy's son. Is that crazy? Yeah, it's crazy. And before we get any further... I want to point out that Heinz and Munchauer are ghosts. Yeah, it's it's difficult to find out anything about those guys. Now, I mean, mm. Heinz, you got to assume that that is the uh, you know the um, the condiment king Heinz yes. that we're talking about, yeah, but yeah. you don't know that for sure. Uh, you know, I, it, there's there's more to the story than than we're going to get to here. But I want to point out one place that 
people can go if they do want to dig into the background a little more. Oh, yeah, and, if yeah. you, and if you bother to join the society, you might be able to uh, to dig up even more than we were on on the sites that are available to the public. There's there's something called the Pierce Arrow Society, the PAS, mm-hmm. and it's just piercearrow.org. And you're, you can join there. You can sign up, you know, for a membership. And they've got like a quarterly newsletter. And there's a bunch of history and photographs and, uh, you know, a lot of interesting links and, you know, lists of notable owners, which hopefully we'll get to today. And uh, this is where a lot of this history comes from. So they're a great source of information mm-hmm. on some things. But other things I just couldn't find. And it, it must be buried in some of the uh, the member uh, member pages. But uh, but one year after that, or no, make that two years after that, after their very first uh, kind of foray into, uh, you know, building this motorette vehicle. They built the first aero car, and it was a two-cylinder car uh, that they built in 1903. And it wasn't called the Pierce Aero. It was just called the aero car. And not long after that, again, a two-cylinder car, so it's probably really very simple in design and, mm-hmm. and size and everything. Um, in 1904, they came out with something called the Great Aero, which is, of course, a, a greater version of what they had just created. <laughs> and it's funny the way they named it, but right. this is this is where it kind of they they step up their game a little bit because the Great Aero was a larger four cylinder car, and it was more uh, they, they were described as more luxurious and and a lot more sturdy than the previous one. But it had cast aluminum body panels, mm-hmm. which is interesting. They were using aluminum when everybody else is using steel. Yeah, at, at this point, at that time, and it's also uh, more expensive yeah. to fabricate. Well, yeah, and did you see what the price of a Great Arrow was back in 1904? I wanted to. I wanted to see if we could play the inflation game on this one. Okay, uh, I've got it. All right, all right. So. The cost of a Great Arrow in, in uh, 1904 was four thousand dollars. Now that was a huge sum of money. To give you an idea, and remember, this is only their second. Well, I guess it'd be the third vehicle officially mm-hmm. that they made. Um, in 2016 dollars, that equates to one hundred and three thousand dollars, which the average person is not going to spring for. One hundred and three thousand mm-hmm. dollars in 1904, the, the equivalent of it. So four thousand dollars. That was a lot of money back then, but. The prices only go up from there because they're they're laying the groundwork for what becomes the the basis of the of the whole company is that um, and and I'll say this probably a few times as we go through here but uh, they really uh, they really focused on reliability quality uh, craftsmanship um, dependability you know just all all the uh, just everything that you would want in a car you would get in a Pierce and it was there are many measures in place to make sure that happened I'll talk about some engine. Uh, yeah, uh, stuff design. later that, yeah, yeah, some interesting things they did there for quality control, but, um, they were already laying the groundwork for, uh, what would be one of the, if, if not the most reliable car on the road. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet and also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash Papertarian. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. 
We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh, great, you see me too. We'll laugh together. We'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As you know, we're entering uh, the Gilded Age, which is only a few years off Mm -hmm. from now. What they wanted to do was similar to what Rolls-Royce eventually became, like the car of kings, you know, the the ultimate high-end thing that, yes, could, uh, yes, it's true that most people in the U.S. and abroad could never afford a vehicle of this, um, of this level. But if they establish themselves as the most reliable manufacturers for those uh, rarefied few who could afford a car like this, then their fortune was assured. Yeah, so they they're not talking to everybody else. They're talking to the ones that can afford the car and right. will pay for that for that uh, extreme luxury, quality, dependability, etc. And you know, Ben, this is one thing that uh, that's kind of really stuck out for me is that they called this in in, in history in U.S. history, I guess. The Pierce Arrow was one of what they called the, the fabled three P's of, U, uh, of U.S. automotive royalty. Uh, this included, of course, Pierce Arrow, mm-hmm. Peerless, and Packard. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were all known for uh, superb craftsmanship, ultimate luxury. Um, you know, they, they, um, they were the cars of presidents at one point, as we'll talk about. They, right. I mean, lots of presidents used these. From, it was actually official vehicles for a while. Well, um, uh, this an interesting thing there. Um, we, we do have to establish that these these were also in the public eye. While they weren't maybe directly advertising to the rank and file, uh, people who were fans of racing would see uh, would see the great the arrow or in the great arrow specifically uh, win endurance tests. Like in 1905, we talked about how Piercy would uh, would also race. Yeah, uh, 33 cars entered this 1100 uh, mile race from New York to New Hampshire. And uh, the Great Arrow won, so it established it as the most reliable car. These were the Glidden Tours, right? Yes, yeah, yeah. Okay, so Thank Glid- you. the Glidden Tours were from 1905 to 1909, mm-hmm. and uh, like you said, they were kind of like an endurance race. They would they would last anywhere from 1100 to I think the longest one was around 2600 miles. Uh, that one went from Detroit to Kansas, and I think you know in a, a circuitous uh, route, of course. I mean, you, you know what roads were like at that time. Mm-hmm. There wasn't a direct route or anything. There was no interstate. Yeah, but it, it, what's what was deemed as the most roadworthy of the car was the one that was awarded the winner, and he th- these cars driven by Percy Pierce uh, would win every single year, and and for four of those years, from 1906 to 1909, perfect scores, 1,000 out of 1,000 points were earned by him. And this is funny, Ben. One of the notes that said who accompanied him on these on these travels, at least in the first one in 1905, uh, which, by the way, where he scored 996 out of 1,000. So he only missed four points over five years. That's pretty impressive. Um, uh, he was accompanied by his parents, his <laughs> fiance, and a mechanic. So that's a car full of people traveling yeah, along with him in this wow. uh, in this endurance race. I just thought it was funny. He brought his parents along with him, but it makes sense that his dad's there. He's the founder of the company. Mm-hmm. Uh, but bring his fiance. I guess the mechanics are essential. I don't know about bringing his mom, but you know, maybe that's all part of the deal. <laughs> you can you can't do it unless I go with you know yeah. family vacation. I get you know it's funny. Cars would have been so new at that point. Oh, sure. This would have been such a novelty to be able to go and see that much of the country. This is still a world of horse-drawn carriages. Yeah, I didn't even think about it that way. Is that, yeah, this is probably a, a, well, I mean, it comes up five more times, but, uh, you know, once in a lifetime thing or first in the lifetime. Oh, I imagine. So then it does make sense that the family would also want to travel. Yeah. When would that opportunity present itself again? And they're doing so well selling this $4,000 uh, yeah, the, the Great Arrow that they were able to build a new factory, and what a factory did they! An amazing factory that they were able to right, build. right by the um, by the famous architect Albert Kahn. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was at Elmwood Avenue uh, around 1906. Yeah. Now remember, prior to this, they were in a 75,000 square foot facility, which mm-hmm. is pretty big. 
It's huge, a, yeah. That's big. And that was in Buffalo, New York also. So they, they remained in Buffalo the whole time. But, um, in 1906, they built this incredible new factory. Ben, how big was that factory? Right. So just to establish context, first factory, 75,000 square feet. Huge, right? Huge. Yeah. This one is 1.5 million square feet. Right. And this was like the best of the best, Ben. It was like the most modern manufacturing facility of its time. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned that it was built by or designed by Albert Kahn, who was an industrial architect. Uh, but it was located where the 1901 Pan American Exposition was held. And that was, of course, where... Oh, there's so many sidebars here, Ben. That, yeah. was, that was the place where uh, President McKinley was assassinated. Uh, the site, anyways. But mm-hmm. th- this new building was just incredible. It was uh, it was like top of the line. It had a chemical laboratory. It had its own power plant. It had a laundry, two dining rooms, snack counters that served coffee, pie, and ice cream to employees. It was kind of like the uh, the, like the modern Googleplex or whatever they call it. <laughs> right, you know, like right. it had everything. They wanted they wanted to make it a comfortable place for the employees and. Um, it, Contrast that with uh, some of the the, uh, the the old dark factories, you know, that didn't have much light and, you know, they're dirty. and Noxious. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was completely different. Now, I don't know about the actual manufacturing floor of this place, but based on the quality and the type of vehicles that were coming out of there, I would assume that this was a different, uh, you know, uh, layout completely in that yeah. case. But it sounds like they were treating employees a little bit differently, too. I mean, mm-hmm. they were really, really, uh, you know, thoughtful about the way they did this. Thing. Yeah, and at the time... Uh, this might sound strange to some folks. The employee perks in the auto manufacturing industry were streets ahead of a lot of other manufacturing things. Um, the the idea you you'll hear sometimes when people talk about where the weekend came from, right? Countries around the world have a similar ratio of five days on, two days off, right? One of those days being a uh, spiritual day of some sort, right? Uh, a Friday, a Saturday, a Sunday. The origin of the weekend in the United States comes from labor relations, right? And to, I know I'm sidebarring the sidebar. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is this is a, a little bit tangential, but it's so interesting. Henry Ford plays a role in the creation of the weekend. Hmm. Uh, he doesn't necessarily lead the charge, but when he gave his employees two days off. Uh, instead of, you know, the typical maybe one day or day and a half or something. Uh, when he did that, that was this enormous uh, manufacturing base sort of, um, I like guess. A shift? Yeah, it was like a paradigm shift. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was legitimizing it huh. in the eyes of other industry heads, in the eyes of the public you, and, and the government. You know, I don't think that's something we covered when we talked about Ford a long, long time ago, or, or many times in mm-hmm. the past. Uh, I don't think we've talked about how he was instrumental in the, the formation of what we consider the, the weekend. Yeah, the original story of it comes from uh, several mills in New England, uh, and the employees, There, there was a... There was discord because uh, some of the employees were Jewish, some of the employees were Christian. And so the Christians would not want to work on Sunday, which was their holy day. And the uh, the Jewish workers would not want to work on Saturday. So they would have these alternating things that were kind of messing up the workflow of the um uh, of the entire well, factory. Sure. Like, I can't get my job done because that guy's not here today, but right. tomorrow I'm going to be gone and then nothing's going to happen until Monday. Et cetera. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And so they eventually had reached a compromise with the mill owners where they would just have both of those days. Oh. Uh, the, and there's earlier stuff with the weekend. Um, you know, it does trace back to, just trace back to Europe, uh, where, <laughs> Where people had the one holy day, but spent a lot of that time inside gambling dens and brothels and drinking. And so they would be, there was this huge epidemic of people just not going to work on Monday. Hmm. And there was a interesting thing you can look up called Saint Monday. Anyway, we digress. I have a piece on the history of the weekend on our video show Brain Stuff, which is about everyday science. But Henry Ford wasn't all, it wasn't completely altruistic when he led the charge for the weekend. Because he realized that if he had his employees working all the time and not having much time to go out and socialize, he was also keeping his best customers away from the uh, away from a dealership, away from an opportunity to buy a Model T mm-hmm. or Model A. So, by giving them those two days, what he also ended up doing 
is giving them a chance to, uh, you know, take, uh, they're largely male, right? So to take the wife and kids out and say, oh, here are the cars that, you know, Papa makes and then end up buying one. Yeah. So yeah. it was, it Smart was, move. yeah, it was really investing back into his company. Yeah. But these kind of innovations are, these kind of innovations are tied hand in hand with early auto manufacturers because it was similar to, um, like you said, the Google strategy, which is make work, make work a cool place, uh, compensate the employees fairly, give them perks, give them an ice cream store, give them an extra day off and see the results. And that's, that's what we're seeing here. And this, man, this works. People are paying attention. As Scott said, presidents are paying attention. The, this factory speaks for itself. 1.5 million square feet. Pierce is, uh, gonna get out of the game at this point. Just the same way that he got out of bicycles, he says, I'm going to sell the rights to this company. Yeah, and actually, seeing what happens later on, I guess it was relatively decent timing for him to get out. In, in 1907, he sold all rights, you know, all name rights or whatever to the company. Uh, and um, just three years later, the guy ended up dead. Yeah, March 23rd, 1910. So it's not a case where he worked right up until the day he died, but it's pretty darn close. And and, and I guess yeah. when he got out was a good time because you don't you don't know happens with companies when the, the founder dies. You know, there's all there's always some kind of um, um, bloody uh, bloody well, fight for supremacy. Yeah, that happens, and sometimes the company goes under. And you know, they, of course, his wishes aren't met. So you know, th- in this way, I guess he could probably be part of the deal and and make sure that it was going into good hands, and you know, make sure that uh, yeah. it was being handled the way he wanted to handle it. Well, and also, you know, we have to consider what I call the. Um, the Achilles heel of a company that's oriented around a personality. The most notable example in modern Western culture would be Apple. When Steve Jobs passed away, Apple got into um, some difficult times and and people weren't sure if the ship would right itself. It seems to be doing very well now. You lose kind of the front man of the operation, Mm -hmm. the one whose face you associate with uh, with that company or that product, right, and, uh, and that becomes difficult for some people. They don't they don't know whether to hang with it or you know what the changes are going to bring. Um, and I'm sure that was the case with this as well. But would um, Tesla exist without Elon Musk if he passed away today? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So I hope he doesn't. Please, Mr. Musk, hold on. Yeah, hang in there. <laughs> Give me to space. So, it, but it all worked out well in this case. And yeah. In, in 1908. Uh, they launched with a new name, you know, as we mentioned before, it was, uh, I think prior to the, or just prior to this, it was called the Pierce Motor Company. Mm. And of course now here's the dramatic change uh, over to the the Pierce Aero Motor Car Company. Yes. (laughs) It's about the same. (laughs) Yeah, right. Uh, but check this out, you guys. We mentioned that uh, notable people were paying attention to the innovative way, uh, the, these, this and other manufacturers were treating their employees, were popularizing their products uh, via racing. In 1909, the president of the United States ordered two Pierce Arrows. He ordered four cars total, but two of them were Pierce Arrows to be used for state occasions. And this makes them the very first official cars of the White House. Yeah, that's right. It's the very first time a, pre- a U.S. president used automobiles for any kind of official occasion, and uh, and that was with uh, with Taft. And it, this is crazy. This this kind of uh, I guess you call it tradition, I suppose, lasted with Pier- the Pierce Arrows until about 1935, and it ended during the uh, FDR administration. And of course, mm-hmm. that's because well, you know what happens with the company, not so much right. what happened. You know, they didn't want them anymore. But the cars were actually leased by the U.S. government, but the presidents would often buy those cars when they left the office. So these presidents would end up owning the vehicles as their own personal vehicles once they left the office. Can't beat that advertisement. Yeah, and you know what? I, I have to take another sidebar here. Yeah. And I don't have any notes in front of sure, me, sure. so this is just going from uh, a story that I read yesterday. But uh-huh. maybe you can find this online if you dig around. The story behind Taft getting those two Pierce Arrows is pretty interesting. I think he wanted initially to get a Ford automobile, a couple of Fords. Yeah. And the reason was it was because, um, or no, maybe it wasn't him. He just needed cars. He needed two cars or four cars, as you said, or three or whatever the, the case may be. Um, I read this, by the way. It was in a Ford forum. So, um, okay. You know, Ford, it was like an off-topic uh, thing. You Those know, other two on. cars yeah. were white Model M Tourers. 
Oh, the white. Uh, yeah, you know what? I think one was a, a steam car as well. Oh. Uh, it's a tapped on one white steam car made by the manufacturer White. Um, but I think that what the story was was that, that Taft had said, okay, we have $12,000 in the budget to buy these cars. We need to get three or four cars, as you said. Uh-huh. And it's funny to think about that now, $12,000. But now the, 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 the cars we just talked about, the, the, um, uh, the Pierce Arrows that, uh, of the time, they ended up buying a, a Brome and a Landalay. And they were right around $4,000 each or maybe even $6,000 each. It was going to, you know, take the entire budget to buy them. Mm-hmm. His wife, uh, or I'm sorry, the guy that was in charge of this, his name was like, I want to say he was a captain or a colonel or something. He was an advisor to Taft. And his last name was Butts. Uh, and it was, uh, it's it spelled the same way. It was spelled exactly <laughs> like that, B-U-T-T. Uh. So he's in charge of it. He's got the budget and it's like 12,000 bucks. He goes out and he finds, uh, you know, the cars that fit the bill, you know, that he can get everything he needs. And it's these Ford cars. And Mrs. Taft, I don't remember her name, but she said, uh, she said, oh, no, no, no. The, uh, the leader of the free world, you know, the, the head executive of the United States is not going to be seen in a, uh, in a car like that. He has to be in something prestigious, something with a, a name. Yeah. And she chose, she mentioned Pierce Arrow as a possibility. Mm-hmm. So they looked into it and figured that they can get two of these. And I guess they extended the budget for the other two vehicles, the, the white steamer cars. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that's how he ended up with these Pierce Arrows is because she didn't want him seen around town in something. And I, I'll say it. I mean, don't get angry at me, Ford guys, but, uh, as inferior as a Ford. When you could be seen as in something as superior as a Pierce Arrow. As common. I would say common versus elite. Yeah, and see, this is before, like, Cadillac hadn't really found its groove yet. Right. And, uh, uh, of course, you know, we didn't see Lincolns in the White House really until the 1960s, I think. You know, the big Lincolns with the, the, the Kennedys. Um, so, you know, Cadillac didn't really appear at the White House until the 1950s, I think. Right. But, but um Anyway, it's interesting that the Pierce Arrows were, were owned and uh, sometimes, well, sometimes, well, at least, and of course, sometimes owned by by um, by presidents. And also. of course, this was Taft, Wilson, Harding, mm-hmm. Coolidge, Hoover, FDR. Uh, it's an impressive list, really. Also, I, I would say it's a. I have opinions about the several of those presidents. <laughs> but, but yeah, of course, we have all of that. But that's for yeah. a that's for a different kind of show, isn't it? <laughs> I do want to point out though that. They have good taste in cars. uh, They have great taste in cars, and they had great help uh, choosing those cars. Um, Oh, oh, sorry, Ben. Yeah. Oh, I I have to get this in before I forget. Uh, The guy that I mentioned before, uh, Mr. Butts, or Colonel Butts, or whatever his name was, (laughs) uh, the the poor guy, he he died uh, on the RMS Titanic, on its maiden voyage. Oh, man. So so he selected these cars in 1909. Three years later, he's on the Titanic in the... uh, the fatal voyage. You just never know. I know. Okay. Well, now, well, sorry. I I had to I had to ask, and this is pure speculation on my part. And and listeners, uh, please let me know what you think as well. So, in addition to um, in addition to his professional pros and cons, William Howard Taft holds the dubious honor of being by far the most overweight president. <laughs> right? <laughs> is he the one who got stuck in the bathtub? The very same. Oh, boy. And yeah. so my question is, did the car's reliability have something to do with the decision as well? Because the other two Ps were out there. Yeah, possibly. Maybe that was it. Maybe it had uh, maybe it had significantly more room in the interior. I'm wondering. Yeah, and I'm not – this is not at all a crack on the guy. Oh, no. I'm – because I, I was spending some time in research thinking, how am I going to phrase this? But you know what? <laughs> Take a look at the cars of the of that era. Uh, you know the the uh, I guess you know the 1909 era, and see and see what you find. But I think they were enormous. I think they were great big giant coaches. When I mean, these are the kind of cars when you stand next to them, the hood is the same height as your shoulder. Mm-hmm. You know, they had those tall wheels with uh, the wooden spokes, and um, more like a, a still like a carriage in some ways. Uh, not exactly, but still a bit like that. Mm-hmm. So, um, giant, giant coach work on them. I think, I think maybe all cars had a lot of room. So I don't know if that was really a, a if that case was a factor. Where, I'm just curious because it was, there was kind of that last minute switch. Remember too, if they wanted, yeah. if they wanted the Fords and then ended up with, uh, with, with these Pierce Arrows. I don't know. I mean, I, it, I feel like though, honestly, uh, while I see what they're saying about being a state official, uh, I feel like it might've been more popular with the public. You would have looked like more of a man of the people. If you were in a Ford. Well, probably, yeah. Oh, man, Scott, I just realized. What's that? It's happened again. 
Oh, boy. We're running out of time, aren't we? We're running out of time, my friends. We're deep in the story of the Pierce Aero Motor Car Company, and ordinarily we would end an episode here, but I don't want to stop. The story's not over. Oh, no, no. There's lots more to uh, to, to discuss here. So uh, we're, we're going to have to come back for a part two. Yeah, let's do that. We're going to make the – you know what? By golly, by gum, we're going to make this – I looked up some archaic uh, <laughs> expressions of the time. I like it. By golly, by gum, we are going to make this a two-parter. Uh, we are going to be back next week with the second half of the story of the Pierce Arrow Motor Car Company. In the meantime, since we don't want to leave you on too much of a cliffhanger – if you would like to check out some of the origin stories of other car models and car manufacturers and just notable individuals in the history of automobiles, then you are in luck. You can visit carstuffshow.com to check out every other audio podcast we've ever done. I specifically recommend the Peugeot one. That would be a good one. That's a good match for this one. Mm-hmm. Similar story, I think. Yeah. And Steve, you have inspired us to uh, make this a two-parter. Thank you so much for writing to us. If you would like to take a page from Steve's book and contact us with some information about your experience with the Pierce Arrow Motor Car Company, or if you would like to recommend a topic for us to cover in the future with the understanding that we might end up making it a series, then uh, drop us a line. We're CarStuffHSW on Facebook and on Twitter. You can see a lot, especially on our Facebook, you can see a lot of the images that Scott and I are mentioning because uh, we've got stuff popping up there every single day. Uh, and if you have something a little longer that you would like to say or you know, maybe a, a longer tale or anecdote about your experience with the Pierce Arrow, uh, then we would love to hear it. You can email us directly. We are carstuff at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at HowStuffWorks.com. This episode brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Director Wes Ball breathes new life into the epic franchise. As a ruthless king attempts to build his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape begins a journey to fight for a future for apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. Viking. Committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, cultural enrichment, and all-inclusive fairs. Discover more at Viking.com. You've probably heard a lot about electrified vehicles lately. Well, Toyota has electrified options for every lifestyle. We've got hybrids. No plug needed. But we also have plug-in hybrids, if that's your thing. (laughs) You can even go 100% electric in the Toyota BZ4X. With so many options for reducing carbon emissions, Toyota is electrified, diversified. Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyondzero. 